Well, uh, thanks, church, for giving so generously, Relief Fund, and obviously to our church here through tithes and offerings. Before I share uh, the message today, I just want to take a moment to honor Hilt and Jin, um, our lead pastors here. Um, if you've had an opportunity to be anywhere around them this week, they have been absolutely phenomenal. Their, their hustle, their heart for our community, for our church, for communities around here, and um, it's just incredible. I mean, I really, I just um, honor you guys. It's um, incredible to see, and I know that we've spoken a lot over the COVID season and having to navigate like online, and uh, a lot of the conversation, even from Roger and Vonnie, who kind of handed over the church to Hilton Jinners, thank God that Hilton Jin took over in this season because of being online. And this, just this week, I've, I've said again, God, thank God that you've placed Hilton Jin, who've got such huge hearts and such incredible connections and such a hustle. I've just seen them this entire week work tirelessly to serve our church, this community, other communities. And it is incredible how much a loaf of bread can bring hope to your hearts. Um, and so just thank you for being the people that you have been this week and the Jesus lovers. We love you and we honor you. Um, so we are going to kick off, uh, sorry, we're going to be in part two of this series, What's the Point? Last week, uh, we asked this question, what's the meaning of life? Um, and we unpacked the book of Ecclesiastes. This week, we're going to ask the tough question, as Hilt mentioned, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And... Um, I was overwhelmed as I picked up my notes that I'd already started writing from last week and going like, man alive, God, only you knew that we would be sitting here this Sunday talking about a message that is so prevalent and, and so just unique to the world that we're facing right now. Why do bad things happen to good people? And let me just say this, next week, we're going to unpack the book of Hosea, and the tagline is, how do we love people that are unlovable? I think God's doing something, guys. I think God is doing something in our church. He is shaking us. What's the point? Why do we exist? Um, and so this week, we're going to look at why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, I'm sure many of us have asked that question this week. I've got to be honest. I I've seen some of the most harrowing devastation to some of the nicest people I know. I have cried tears this week with friends and family and people part of our church that have lost everything. And by all means, they do not deserve it. It is not right. It is not fair. And so we ask this question, why do innocent people suffer for seemingly no good reason? And last week, we asked the question from the book of Ecclesiastes. This week, we're asking the question from the book of Job. And I really believe, I really believe that if you open up your hearts and you trust God that somehow the message can bypass your mind and get into your heart, that it's going to give you some kind of perspective for the week we've just come from. So can we pray together? Father, you are a good, good Father. And today we ask that you would bring your word and it would pierce our hearts and it would cause such a divine conviction on the inside that it would hold us from being shaken. And so we thank you, God, for clarity of your word today. We ask you, God, that you would use this word to, to cause a resolve in our hearts to hold on to you and to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I'm going to unpack this book of Job just a little bit, and then we're going to pull out some points out of the story that I believe are going to give you incredible perspective. The first thing that you need to know about this book of Job, which is about 41 chapters found in the middle of the Bible, is that Job, the guy that the story is about, is not an Israelite. The, the account is not in Israel. The timeline is unknown, and the author is unknown. God is very intentional about telling the story about this guy and giving no details. Because as soon as there's specifics, we go, oh, yeah, but that might be the way for you, but that's not like that for me. And so God goes, I don't want you to think it's this kind of person or in this kind of time. This is an every man kind of story that God is trying to explain to us. And so Job is this blameless, upright, God-fearing, good man. He he worships and serves and honors God with his life. And in the book and in the story, we see that the devil goes to God and says, God, the only reason he's all of these things is because of your blessing on him. If I were to take them away, he would stop doing it. And so God in the account goes, go ahead. And what goes on over the next season in Job's life is devastating in many ways like what many of us have felt in this week. He loses jobs, he loses family, his 10 kids die, his health is taken from him. And in many ways, Job is so churned up by the pain that he doesn't just curse God, he curses the very day he was born. Job chapter three, verse one says this, after this, Job began to speak and cursed the day he was born. In fact, in amidst all this devastation and tragedy and calamity, his wife comes to him and says, curse God and die. After that, he has three friends who come to him and try and figure out what's actually going on in this situation. They try and objectively look at why, why is this happening to you, Job? And um, it's important to know that these three people plus Job held an assumption. They held a big assumption that was actually not necessarily correct. And the big assumption was this, good and wise people, God blesses, stupid and foolish people, God punishes. And I just have to say that I think sometimes we hold this approach of God, this humanistic idea that good and wise people, God blesses, stupid and foolish people, God punishes that God runs the world on the system of justice. And his three friends give this advice to him. They say, we know that God is good, that God is just. So that means you must have done evil. That means you must have done something wrong. And how often in life, when stuff starts to unravel, we start to introspectively look and go, did I do enough? Did I, did I read my Bible enough? Was it good enough? Should have I done this or stopped doing that? It's obviously because I'm not good enough that God is now punishing me. A wrong assumption that these guys held of Job and of God. And so Job kicks back. He's like, I didn't do evil. I, I, I know I didn't do evil. And so you know what his assumption then is? If I didn't do evil, then God must not be good. God must not be just. And how often do we do that? Even in this week, I'm sure many of us have asked this question, God, how? God, why? God, God, why would you let this happen? Intrinsically, what we're asking is, God, are you 
are you good? I'm not sure. If you could, why would you let this happen? If you're good. And, and so Job starts to have this perspective and a fourth friend arrives on the scene and he goes, hey, 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 it's is, is neither that God is not good or that you are not good. God wants to teach you a lesson. That's what the fourth friend's kind of objective uh, or, or the way he sees this point of view. And, and, and I know that as humans, we try and justify and explain stuff, but in many ways, this is a very trivial way of trying to explain what's going on. Say, so, uh, oh, God wants to teach you a lesson through this pain. Now, now, of course, we can learn lessons through pain, but make no mistake, God does not initiate pain on our lives or loss or heartache so that we could learn a lesson. That is not God's heart by any means. And you know, when we start to have this view, like the fourth friend, it can cause all sorts of confusion and pain in people's hearts. Why would God let my mom have cancer to teach me a lesson? Why would God allow my business to be destroyed? This is another wrong assumption that the fourth friend has. And so Job goes, I'm not liking anything I'm hearing. So I'm going to God on this. And he goes and has a conversation with God. And let me tell you something. It is not a normal conversation. It is a conversation full of questions, full of interrogations. He puts God on trial in many ways, firing a bunch of these questions and even accusations at God. And God in his kindness, he doesn't need to, but God in his kindness responds. And he, he responds by asking or by giving two kind of virtual tours. He gives them a virtual tour of the cosmos, of the, of, of the universe. And then he gives them a virtual tour of earth. And he asks them these impossible questions. Questions like, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you ever in your days commanded the morning light? Where does light live or where does darkness reside? Can you lead out a constellation in this season? These these massive questions that Job in no way could answer. And he, he goes on to ask him similar questions about the world that he lives in. Where Job just goes, I don't know the answer to these questions. You see, Job, Job's accusation, Job claimed that God had fallen asleep at the wheel. And that's what many of us even are probably asking this week. God, where are you? What happened? And we see with God's acute response and his detailed response, that he responds saying, actually, my attention to every detail and the operations of this universe show that I am actually in control. Basically, God wants to make a point. We're finite. He's infinite. He's God. We're human. This is an, this is an important message to understand from the book of Job. But I don't think that's all God was trying to say through the book of Job. This is, not, this is not God's heart to just go, you're small, I'm big. You're a human, I'm God. I know you don't. This is not God's heart towards us. But it's a good starting point. To go, oh yeah, I'm human. You're God. So what is God trying to say through the book of Job? Why is the book of Job even there? And how? does the book of Job help us in the tragedy and the calamity of this last week? Well, I think the first major observation is this. God never answered the question. Never. 
not in 41 chapters of being asked, why do bad things happen to good people? God never answered the question, and there lies a great truth for us. This is very important for us to understand because all Job wanted was the answer to this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Job demanded a full explanation from God, but God in return just asked Job to trust him, to trust his character and to trust his wisdom. See, Job wanted understanding, but God wants trust. Let's just pause here for a moment. Job, Colin, Lauren, anybody listening wants understanding from this week. Do you know what God wants from this week? Trust. See, Job wanted God to reveal an answer. God wanted to reveal himself. Many of us want an answer from God. God's like, I want to reveal who I am to you in this season. Job wanted to know why, but God doesn't ever explain why. All God does is say this, we live in an incredibly complex, beautiful world that is not designed to prevent suffering. This is an, this is an important viewpoint for us to hold, even as Christians. This world was not created to prevent suffering. John 16 verse 33 says this, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have many trials. See, God's world is good, but it's not perfect. This is important for us to hold. Otherwise, we start to accuse God because we don't experience utopia. See, God, throughout his response, never defends the world's suffering. In fact, he makes mention that some of his creation is dangerous and wild. So God's creation is beautiful and dangerous, ordered and wild. This book doesn't unlock the puzzle of why bad things happen to good people, but rather it invites us to trust God's wisdom and his character and that we encounter suffering rather than figure out the reason. So we, we get to know who God is rather than figure out why things are going on. In conclusion of this book, there is no answer given as to why innocents suffer, but there is a solution, trust. So I want to unpack this thing a little bit today, church. So I, I believe this is going to help us. This, this wrestle that goes on on the inside of us, trust versus understanding. We want to understand why God, and God's wanting to build trust in our hearts. And this wrestle is not new. It's not this week. You can... Take this wrestle right back to the Garden of Eden. You know, there were two trees, well, there are multiple trees, but there are two trees that were placed in the middle of the garden that God speaks about. The tree of life, ultimately the tree that we would receive our sustenance, our goodness, our provision from God. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of understanding. The tree where we would have the knowledge, where we would know all things. And you can see that actually Satan speaks to Eve, and this is how he tries and tempts her to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, you will understand, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the temptation for all of us in this season 
is to try and be like God, to try and understand all things. And God doesn't want us to be like God. He wants us to trust God. In fact, a little further on in Genesis, it says that she took the fruit and she ate because she would gain wisdom. She would gain understanding. In church, I believe that God is wanting to settle in all of our hearts that the mission, that the goal is not understanding. It's trust. That we would eat from the tree of life. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. Or some versions say submit to Him in all of your ways. And God will make your paths straight. For many of us right now, our paths are not straight. Our wires are so crossed. Our lives are so crazy. We don't honestly know what day it is of the week. It has been in many ways, hell on earth this week. Our paths are not straight. How do we get straight paths? We trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, church. I believe God is doing this this week. All of our hearts. God, all of my heart. I trust you with all of my heart. I lean not on my own understanding. I believe that God is causing a faith that has no lean but that is fully just resting on God. And then it says that, that we submit all of our ways. I believe that total trust is found in total submission. Say, so God, I, I actually don't know how. I, I, don't, I actually don't know how you're gonna, you, we're going to come back. I don't know how our family, I don't know how our business, I don't know how our community, I don't know how the city is going to come back. But I am going to submit. I am going to trust you. Total submission brings about total trust. And Psalm 20 verse 7 says it like this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. We could say some trust in finances. Some of us up until this week trusted in many things that have been ripped out from underneath us. Even just the facade of stability or clarity or control which all in a moment were pulled out from underneath us some trust in horses some trust in chariots but it goes on to say I put my trust in the name of the Lord my God and I believe God's doing that church he's causing an awakening a shaking in our hearts where does your trust lie my trust lies in the name of the Lord my God goes on, says that God is wanting to create this trust where we fully trust in His name. We go, God, I can't see how this is going to work, but I trust you. And one of the greatest demonstrations of our faith is to trust God when we do not understand. I believe God's stirring faith. It's like a, it's like a a small little flame that he's just breathing his spirit onto this week. And in many ways, we're going to see revival out of this space. We're going to see the house of God, the church of God, the people of God. We're going to see a move of God's spirit because there's a bunch of people that go, I don't trust in horses. I don't trust in chariots. I don't trust in the system of the world. I put my trust in the name of God. I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. I lean not on my own understanding. I acknowledge you and submit to you in all of my ways. And I will watch 
my paths made straight. Church, you know what? To put your trust in someone that you don't quite know or you're not yet sure if they're good is very difficult. And so for many of us, we're asking this question this week. I think we should all be asking this question. How good is my God? How deeply do I believe that? What is my vantage point of God? What do I view? How do I view God? And remember, I told you about the two lies earlier that the devil will say, God is not good or you should feel guilty. And for many of us, he's trying to whisper that or shout that into our ears this week. God is not good. And if the devil can get us thinking that God is not good, then we will lean on our own understanding. You will only fully trust God if you go, he's good. He's always good. I don't know how this is going to work, but I know one thing for sure. He's good. I'm not going to listen to the three friends that come and tell me that I must have done something wrong. I'm not going to listen to the friend that says that it, it, maybe God's trying to teach me a lesson. I'm not going to listen to my wife that says, curse God. My wife doesn't say, but you know what I mean. Curse God. And I'm not going to listen because my God is good. Listen to what Psalm 107 verse 1 says. It says, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Do you know how we can get up this morning? Do you know how we can put courage and hope in our hearts? Do you know how we can live another day? Do you know how we can rebuild this country? Do you know how we can stand and believe for revival? Because I can give thanks because He's good. Is the situation good? No. Is what's happening good? No. Is God good? Always. The God that I serve, He is good. And I don't just believe He's good. I believe He does good. I believe He turns all things to good. Romans 8.28 says this, that, and we know that in all things, church, all things, not some things, all things, God who works, He's working right now. Even when you can't work on your business, even when you can't do anything in this country, even when you don't have the ability, even when you're unsure, even when you don't understand, even when you can't, He can and we know that in all things, God works for the good. I serve a good God who works good things. And when we believe that He's a good God and He does good things and He turns all things, my trust can be fully in God. I think God's shaking. For some of you, if you're struggling, going, hey, Cole, I hear you shouting into that microphone. I see you quoting scriptures. Well, I'm still struggling. I can't, I can't figure out how it can be good when storage units are being burned and businesses and fam. I, I, I'll encourage you just like Job. And just like many of us are doing this week, wrestle with God. Come to him with your honest, doubting, fearful, angry, frustrated wrestle. Pray. And running to God is the only way that you and I are going to figure out how good God is. Your God never scorned or shouted at Job. He approved the wrestle. He actually makes mention of Job's wrestle. He says, Job does the right thing. Job says the right thing. Even in all the accusations, even in all the fear, even all the doubt. He says, Job does the right thing. What's the right thing? 
is to wrestle in prayer with God. And ultimately, Job responds with two great markers of humility. Uh, sorry, two great markers of trust. Humility and repentance. So here's a go at God. God responds to him. And then Job has this response back to God. He says multiple things. I'm just going to pull out two verses. The first is a view of humility. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. In other words, God, you're too big. You're too wonderful, too majestic. You're the great I am. You was, you was and is and is to come. You're the Alpha and the Omega. Basically, I don't fully comprehend. I don't fully understand. I'm a finite human. You're an infinite God. And I stand humbled today, God. And I believe that God is leading many of his people to that place today, this week. God, I don't understand, and that's okay. I can't comprehend, and that's okay. You're not asking me to have the answers. You're the answer. I don't have to give answers even to my family or friends or neighbors or work colleagues. What I do have to do is show them that I trust in the name of my Lord, that I trust with all my heart, that I lean not on my own understanding. And so the first posture is humility, and the second is repentance. This sense of, God, I, I humble myself, I submit myself. Listen to what he says. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in the dust and ashes. Listen to the first line. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, my ear, but now my eyes see you. I, I believe that God is stirring an awakening church. For those in the church, for those out the church, for those who've fallen away in their faith, for those who have never encountered Jesus, there was a time when I heard about you with my ears, but now I see you, God, with my eyes. There was a time when I believed about you because my parent or pastor or preacher told me, with my ears I heard, but now I see you with my eyes. There was a time when somebody preached the Bible to me, but now I read the Bible to myself. There was a time that I knew about God, but now I know God intimately. There was a time that I used to believe in God, but now I trust in God. I used to hear about you with my ears, but now I've seen you with my eyes. And you know what happens, church, when we see God with our eyes, when we encounter Him? There's this repentance, this submission, this surrender that says, God, I don't understand, but I choose to trust you because you're good. So can I end by saying this? Is God using this time not to teach us a lesson, but to teach us who He is? Is God using this time not to teach us a lesson, but to teach us who He is? My prayer, our prayer as a church, is that you'd be able to pray this prayer. God, I trust in you with all of my heart. Come on, close your eyes that you'll be able to pray this prayer, even right now, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of calamity, in the midst of fear, in the midst of not understanding what on earth is going on. 
even with reports of what tomorrow and the next week holds, we choose to trust in the name of our God. And so, Father, we pray this prayer to you today as a church, as a people, that, God, we trust in you with all of our hearts. We lean not on our own understanding. We submit all of our ways to you. And we thank you, God, that you make our paths straight. And I don't know who's watching this sermon. Perhaps a friend has passed you on the link or you've just found this service. I want to take a moment to pray with you, friend. I believe that God is calling many of you home. Many of you in this season realize that but for the grace of God, other than a Savior, we're not going to make it. And I want to tell you, friend, that there's a loving God out there who even in this calamity, not something he planned or orchestrated, but he will use it to call you home. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And I want to pray a prayer with you now. So could everybody, wherever you are, close your eyes and let's pray this prayer together, a simple prayer of asking Jesus to come and be your Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you that you died on a cross, that you took my sin and shame and you nailed it to that cross once and for all. Jesus, today, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.